Janine. This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, and this is Get the Funk Out. Standing by to join me is Catherine May, author of Wintering. And I'm so excited to have her on the show because actually she thought my show was a music show about funks, but this is perfect <laughs> uh, because we're going to talk about what to do when life throws you curveballs. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. What made you decide to write this book, Catherine? I think really I reached a point in my life when I felt like I had a kind of expertise in dropping out of life for a while. And I began to see that loads of people I knew and loved were doing that too. You know, that there were loads of different reasons that their life would stop for a while. But what we had in common was that time when you are completely isolated and despairing and feeling like nothing will ever get going again. And we don't talk about that as a common human experience enough. You know, we try to pretend that it doesn't happen. And when it does happen, we keep it like a dirty secret. We feel ashamed of it. Sure. And I just really wanted to start a conversation that said, this is a really normal part of human life. This is part of our cycle. And we could actually do well to acknowledge it because it's full of productive things as well as terrible things. I always say that there are two paths in life when you go through something challenging, which I call funks, the negative road where we have negative choices, negative behaviors, negative thoughts, and the positive. So I love mm. how you focus on this positive path. Well, I don't know if I am that, I mean, in lots of ways, I'm quite a little storm cloud about it in that I really do think <laughs> that we need to engage with the negative in order to find our way out again. You know, I don't think we get anywhere by pushing away those True. really valuable feelings. Yes. And I do think that sadness is unbearable, but it's also hugely instructive. So I suppose I'm like, do the negative and then you'll find the positive. <laughs> well, you learn, you learn from the negative. I think that's what I hear you saying is don't run away from it, face it, mm, go through mm. it, live it and process it and see what you can learn from the moments. Yeah, I think it makes demands on us, the negative bits. I think that if we try and rush it or push it away, we miss out on what it's asking of us. And actually, we just defer the bad stuff from happening. Sure. So, yeah, I'm all about kind of following it through, but not engaging in unnecessary suffering, you know, like doing all you can to keep yourself feeling comforted and comfortable and to cheer yourself up deliberately during those times. Yes. I've really noticed that during the pandemic that conversations seem to start very easily that say, you shouldn't be cheerful right now. Like you shouldn't be laughing. You shouldn't be enjoying yourself. And I just think the opposite's true. I think that we have a responsibility to do all we can to make ourselves as happy as we can be because life is hard enough. I agree. I actually try not to watch the news and follow mm. every detail of the pandemic because it, I find that it is so negative that it um, switch, switches my mindset, affects my sleep, and I feel yeah. very fragile at times yeah. about what's going on. I think we encounter more news than we were ever made to understand or process. You know, we didn't evolve hearing global news. In the UK, we've been obsessed with your election. Like, it's none of our business. Of you know? <laughs> it's great but we, TV. <laughs> oh, well, we, but, but I think we read that mm. stuff as a real danger signal, you know? Like, yeah. we hear 
all the stuff going on in your country and we get just as afraid as if it were happening to us personally and I think sometimes we cross a line between empathizing with other people's struggles mm -hmm. and taking them on for ourselves and I think we take such a lot on I don't listen to the news either I gave up a long time ago yes I try and stay as well informed as I can but I actually don't think it's useful for me to be hyper informed at all times it just exhausts me it is exhausting. It affects every part of me. And I also have this rule of thumb where I, I don't want to hear anything scary and negative late at night before I'm getting ready oh, to go yeah. to sleep because I will I, have bad dreams. Oh, goodness. I'm just the same. In fact, I take that one step further. I won't watch even drama on the TV before bed. I just I realized a few years ago that I was watching something like The Wire and thinking it was completely amazing, but then I yes. couldn't sleep. Like right. my brain was racing with all this stuff happening. Yes. And I thought I've got to knock this on the head. Like I wouldn't drink caffeine after 4 p.m. and I shouldn't watch TV drama after 4 right. p.m. either. Some people are very sensitive, delicate humans. I mean, I, yeah. I will literally have, I'll open my eyes. I'm dreaming. I open my eyes. I think something is coming at me. And it's just because I have stress or I have something on my mind and it's, sure. you know, you have to guard that. You do. You have to take care of yourself. And I, I do. I mean, I'm a big fan of being on Twitter, but I do sometimes notice that every day everybody has wound themselves up about a different issue. Yes. And I don't think that's very healthy. I think sometimes we need to pick our battles and not completely exhaust ourselves on stuff that doesn't really concern ourselves, just getting angry for the sake of it. I agree. I agree. So give us a glimpse of Wintering uh, without giving too much away. So Wintering is a book that it's a hybrid of loads of different things. So there's some memoir in there. There's some nature writing. There's some philosophy. There's some folklore. There's all kinds of things at once going on in there. And it's a book about how we live through those dark seasons in life and how we can um, I suppose, adapt strategies that are used in nature to help us through. So I did all kinds of wonderful things in the research of the book, you know, from um, going to the Blue Lagoon in Iceland to seeing the Northern Lights in Norway, um, to holding a hibernating dormouse, which is the UK's cutest mammal, oh. hands down. I'm, <laughs> that's not even up for debate. Um, <laughs> and to learning about how bees uh, stay warm in their hive over winter. And I also learned to adapt my own physical processes during that time to learn to, you know, come into contact with the cold and the dark in the winter so that my body could acclimatize. So I started cold water swimming. Oh, and yeah. And I still do that now. I absolutely love it. I wouldn't. How cold? Uh, well, uh, midwinter, our sea goes down to four degrees centigrade, which is just a couple of degrees above freezing. So, yeah, it's chilly. Definitely. Chilly. <laughs> I have waded into the sea when it's frozen at the edges. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's, I mean, but it's actually what happens to your body when you swim in cold water is fascinating because it releases um, a similar cocktail of hormones to taking ecstasy, the drug. Really? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You wow. get a massive rush of endorphins and serotonin and you feel, I mean, almost high it just feels I incredible but yeah, a lot of wonderful. expletives would be flying out of my mouth <laughs> oh yeah 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 I mean yeah. we we I swim in a group of fantastic women and we all get in together 
And even now, after a couple of years of doing it, my courage fails me every time I stand at the edge of the water and we get in and we shout, we scream, we bellow like I seals, we make noises you wouldn't hear at any other time. Cathartic, which is so great. Yeah. Let that out. Yeah, it's a, it's a massive explosive release of emotion. Mm -hmm. And then when we're swimming around, we're chattering, we chat, 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 chat. And everything comes flooding out of us, like the stuff you wouldn't normally tell to people. It's right out there, you know, like if someone's at the bottom of their bank balance, we know about it while we're swimming, <laughs> it's all there. <laughs> That's really funny. Do you have any video of this? <laughs> oh yeah, tons. <laughs> Well, actually, I mean, it's quite hard. Like, uh, there's only a couple of us that have got the right equipment for that. But there's some you need, like the photos. camera on the head. <laughs> yeah, I think I'd like one of those for Christmas. But yeah. I, in a way, it would be a shame to capture it because it's a private it's a moment. Particular private moment. Yeah. yeah, it's true female conversation. Men never yeah. want to swim with us. So funny. Yeah. What else would you like people to know about the book? I think I'd like people to know that it is beautiful and healing but also very funny like I wanted there to be moments of humor in the book I really didn't want this to be a completely serious exploration of the season because I actually think that humor is one of the things that get us through so you will hear the story of me fainting dead after having a, a sauna and wow. having all of the very handsome young men from the sports center come rushing in with defibrillators while I'm semi-naked and begging them to leave. So, <laughs> And you weren't sleeping. So, oh my God, no, I really, I did not want them to see me oh, in my no. pants. <laughs> oh. Yeah, so, so it's a mixture of, you know, very serious exploration of dark times, but also about the lightness that we find in the darkest moments too. And I think we've all learned that this year. Yes. I know because things feel very dark right now with, with mm. quarantine. Do you have advice for people that are going through a difficult time, ways to tune in to themselves? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the best ways that I've found to tune in is to watch nature changing as the season progresses. And I learned after I wrote the book, which I wish I'd known when I was writing it, that the Japanese recognize 52 micro seasons across the year instead of four big seasons. So wow. each of them, yeah, isn't that lovely? So yes. each micro season is about a minute change that happens each week in nature. So something coming into flower, something dropping its leaves, you know, like that, that kind of thing. Isn't that lovely? That's really interesting. And we can tune into those micro seasons around us, even through winter when we think everything is just dormant. It isn't. It's changing. It's doing great work. And I think if we can watch that, it's a really wonderful and helpful thing to help us pass from moment to moment. It sounds like the making of this book, the research for this book was such a positive experience for you. I loved it. I mean, I am a winter obsessive, I suppose. And I just, I love winter even more now. I got to do loads of the wintry things I'd always wanted to do and to, you know, ask people the questions that I'd always wanted to ask. So talking to beekeepers about what they do mm -hmm. in the winter was just absolutely fascinating. And yeah, meeting dormice, going out into the woods on the coldest days, all of those things was just absolutely magical. It's interesting. One of the characteristics of you is your love of learning and your curiosity for life. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I'm, I'm driven by fascination. Mm -hmm. I really I'm always pursuing something. And I tell you another thing. The most fascinating thing I think I did in the course of the research was visit Stonehenge at midwinter. Wow. And that was amazing because it's the only time of year you're allowed to walk straight up to the stones rather than stand behind a fence. 
So I got to actually touch those ancient, ancient rocks um, and to, at the same time, meet all the people who celebrate from loads of different faiths and beliefs the, the rising of the sun after the, the shortest day in midwinter. That is beautiful. Um, it was absolutely beautiful. It's an incredibly kind of peak experience. It was Why lovely. is it they only let you go touch it in the wintertime? To protect it. Um, so oh. many people want to see Stonehenge uh, that they have to really keep people at a distance. Um, there was some evidence a few years ago that the stones were getting damaged um, oh. because everybody wants to touch them. They're so tactile. Sure. But in Victorian times, they used to um, give tourists a hammer and chisel when they visited so they could chip a bit off as a souvenir. Oh, so, I mean, I really feel like the Victorians blew it for us, actually. I was saying, after so many people doing that, you know. Yeah, I'm not sure who had that idea. It doesn't not, seem... Not a good one. <laughs> no, no, not great, no. Anything else you'd like to leave uh, the listeners with and also give out your website? Oh, yeah. So my website is katherine-may.com. I'm Catherine with a K. We Catherines are very particular about that. Okay. And what would I leave you with? Oh, well, I guess... I would leave you with the idea that to get through this winter, you're going to need to find some rituals to pass the time. So if you have to celebrate every full moon, mm -hmm. every Saturday, yes. every religious ceremony that you grew up with, but you've now forgotten, dive back into them because they're the things that get us through. I love that ritual. So that's really, they can see something to look forward to. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I interviewed the chief druid of the UK uh, when I was researching the book and he said that the traditional pagan year divides the year up in such a way that actually you're only ever six weeks away from your next ritual moment and that means gathering together with other people of a like mind and he said that you know when you're experiencing a dark time that's what can really get you through I think that's such such a wise thought I love that mm. well I have really enjoyed this this is wonderful congratulations you too thank you thank you